1: Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at corient.com That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.
2: This week on Gun On One, I have the opportunity to speak to Hall of Famer and Eagles legend Brian Dawkins about the Birds' current 0 2 start. We talk about what the team may be lacking, Carson's performance, the offensive play calling, and of course, I got to hear what he thinks about the current defense. We also chat about his career success, regrets, and what it felt like to receive a ring as a member of the Super Bowl Champion Eagles team front office. Lastly, we speak about his past mental health struggles and the formation of the Brian Dawkins Impact Foundation. Get ready, Weapon X is about to tell it like it is on this edition of Gun On One. Good day everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Gun on One. I'm Derek Gunn and oh my goodness the Eagles. I don't know what to think about this team right now. For a second week in a row they have thoroughly disappointed everybody who's a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Nobody on this planet thought that the birds would start out at 0-2 and And so we're going to try to break down what has happened to the Eagles as of late Uh, and I brought in an expert and, and I couldn't have brought in a a better expert than my guest for this particular episode of gun on one uh you guys know him well he was a nine-time pro bowler five-time first team all pro and hall of famer he is a colleague and more importantly he is a good friend of mine i am so elated to have this man number 20 brian dawkins on gun on one how you doing my brother I'm absolutely blessed. I uh, absolutely blessed. Uh let's get into it, man. We got some stuff to talk about. <laughs> all right. O-2. How shocked are you that this team is O-2 right now? Very
3: shocked. I- I'm very shocked that this team is O-2. There's a lot of optimism about this season. Um, you know, we had some some guys coming back, obviously Carson being in, you know, at the quarterback position healthy. There's a lot a lot of optimism on the offensive side of the ball up the weapons and people were talking about all those things and but here, they found, here we find ourselves at, at, at 0-2. And so, like, it's a very frustrating place, let me tell you that. And I was frustrated to watch the beginning of the game this past week because you know, last week against Washington, you came out, played like we thought you would play, put up points, defense. You did what you were supposed to do early in the game. But then all of a sudden, you didn't come out with, with no juice in this game. I just I, – I didn't see it. I didn't recognize the juice, and I know the offense fumbled the ball right away. And so that puts your defense on the field, but that just makes your job harder. It doesn't make it impossible. Meaning that just because the offense turns the ball over, those special teams turns the ball over, doesn't mean we have to give up seven points. So giving up all those points, the same thing last week against Washington turnovers happen. You give up points as a defense on the side of the ball, and that then forces the offense to do other things outside of just. You know, having a balanced attack, and so there's a lot of things we want to talk about. I don't want to get in all of it in the beginning of this, man. But I was, I was, I was very frustrated in the beginning to see the the lack of energy that I saw.
2: What do you think this team in general is lacking right now? I mean, I, I don't want to push the panic button, but you know how Philadelphia fans are. But what do you think this team's lacking right now?
3: <sighs> First of all, there is no there is no panic button. This is the second game of the season. I know there's frustration. Like I said, I'm frustrated, but panic. There is no such thing as panic this early in the season for a football team when you have so many games yet to be played. But I would say that I just again I don't see that that fire, like that that juice coming back home after losing that game to Washington, the way you lost it to Washington, and you come back home, and so when you come back to the to the to the to the league. I know that they're not, they're, there are no fans there, but you bring your own juice, right? You bring your own juice, just like practice. We go out to do scrimmages and whatnot. We bring our own juice, offenses against defenses. You know, we're usually talking trash back and forth, but you bring your own juice. So we don't need the fans. We love them, don't get me wrong, but you don't need them to have juice. You bring your own internal juice to bring to that game it, it seems like the Rams had that juice like they had that fire they had that everything that, that you, you expected the, the Eagles to have the Rams had it and so like for off the bat that is what is missing right now that true not not fake juice I'm not talking about you just pretending to be so I'm not talking about that 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 inside fire and push and desire to go out and not just make the play you're supposed to make but make spectacular plays. So tackles sometimes just don't get it. Making a tackle on defense, in my mindset, it just it wasn't always good enough. I have to go above that. I have to go, let's call some fumbles. We saw what happened on special teams. A tackle would have been nice there. You'd have been inside the 10-yard line. But no, he caused a fumble on that play. And that helped the offense get into a rhythm. So you got to start thinking outside of the box as far as that is concerned as well.
2: Over the pre- uh, three previous seasons, Carson Wentz has averaged seven interceptions per season. He's already has four in two games In your estimation. Is he trying to do too much?
3: I believe he is. I believe that with, when you have a quarterback coach in Doug, that's going to say, Hey, we're going to be aggressive, which is cool. I understand it, but you have to have a quarterback in place to make decisions good decisions in those situations mm-hmm. well last week against Washington two balls throw back in towards the field as a defensive back I love that for a quarterback to throw the ball back in towards the field on outcuts cuts that gives me the ability to what jump in front and make plays did it last week this week you throw the ball back across your back across the field and two traffic into coverage. After having a long drive that you're actually having momentum on your side, and that's what you do in the red zone, like these are things you expect from a young quarterback. Carson is no longer a young quarterback. So in my mind, he's trying to do too much. So sometimes you you have to take that out of his hands as a coach to do more things. They start doing more short passes, which is great. You get the ball out of Carson's hand because some of the sacks against Washington last week was on Carson because he was holding on to the ball too long. So you have to get rid of the football, get them to your playmaker, play playmaker, excuse me, and allow them to have success. And then the other thing is, man, run the ball. I, I, and, and, and this is something we've been talking about for a long time with yep. this team. But run the ball, especially now. Especially give give Carson a little more balance to allow him to come off of the play action to find guys upfield. I,
2: I hate to say this, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think in his fifth year in the NFL now, Carson has plateaued. You know, we, we were hoping he would be this super franchise quarterback and he's still a young man, but I think right now, as we look at Carson Wentz, this is what he is. This is who he's going to be. It's going to be hot and cold. I don't know if we're ever going to see that, 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 that elite status, Carson Wentz as an NFL quarterback.
3: I don't think he's plateaued. I I believe there's still things he can learn and get better at. One of them is accuracy. Like, the accuracy or the lack thereof in the first two games is something that has to be corrected. And So whatever conversations need to be had, whatever extra film study needs to be done in mm-hmm. order to get him on the, whatever accountability needs to be had to be to talk to him, to let him know that you're putting, first of all, your receivers in Holmes' way when you throw the ball high across the middle, which he's doing way too much. Mm-hmm. And then there's opportunities to keep the drives moving and he's still still selling the ball. A lot of times, that's being too excited, being too um, too jazzed up a little bit. I, I, you know, Donovan used to do that a little bit early in the games, <laughs> early on, early on in the games. Excuse me, um, where he would you know throw the ball high or throw it into the dirt because he was so excited. But so at this time, he has to learn to calm down. But again, that goes back to the coach as well, though. Like you have to begin to to, to call plays in such a way to not have third and long be always a thing that this your, your quarterback is asked to do, which he's, he's had success in the past. You see, that's one of the, I guess one of the, um, I won't say down things about it. He has done it in the past where mm-hmm. they would get behind the chains. I think about two years ago, uh, the Eagles led the league in, in third down um, conversions. I believe in, in like third and long situations. A lot of it was because of Carson Wentz mm-hmm. being able to make people miss, you know, uh, you use, use time and then find guys down the field. But then you can't always depend on that. You have to get a better rhythm offensively to allow him to, once again, be in third and short situations until he gets into a flow. Once he gets into a flow, you can let him have it a little bit. But if he starts struggling again, you have to then put it back into the offensive line's hands, run the ball a little bit more.
2: I don't think he will ever admit it as a player, but I wonder if the success of what Nick Foles had here in Philadelphia weighs on him. Nick Foles wins this organization. It's only in first ever Super Bowl. Carson Wentz has yet to win a playoff game. That's got to weigh heavily on an individual, would you think?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when you have had success, and he has had success, but you have not had the ultimate success, which Nick came in and did so so, so wonderfully for the, for the team and the city, that is a huge, huge amount of pressure on you. And not only that, you know, he hasn't uh, – the season being healthy throughout a season is still a struggle for him at times. So that's, that's something else that can play in your mind. Now, you don't have to buy into it as a player. But believe me, that is something that probably creeps into your thoughts every once in a while. But you have to have a strong enough mindset to not play to that. There's so many other things to play towards, not to just play towards that. I'm not going to play to do that. I'm playing this because my teammates – Count on me because my coaches count on me because I can do it. First of all, and then as I then handle the things that I can handle, mm-hmm. control, don't turn the ball over, make great decisions. Those wins begin to mount, and then you begin to have the success in the playoffs.
2: What do you think of Doug Peterson's play calling and decision making?
3: Well, at this point, you 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 know he's going to go for it, like on fourth fourth downs, of different situations like that. That's just who he is. Again, you put that into the quarterback's hands if he does do that. You can't turn the ball over. You can't give offensive short, short fields. I'm of someone that I love to run the football. Mm-hmm. Like I love, especially for an offensive line that's been banged up, that's been hurting a little bit. One of the hardest things to do is to drop back, is to play basically defense as you pass protecting. Let those guys come off. Because, you know, uh, that, that year that we won the Super Bowl, what did we become for a certain period of time mm-hmm. with, with LeGarrette Blunt? Like, we became some bullies is what we became, mm-hmm. punishing people. And then what it, what it began to do is it began to open up passing lanes because he had more room to throw off of play-action passes. So now, like, I don't really fall for play-action pass because, like, you really aren't committed to running the ball, and I know that as a defensive player. But if you commit to that and we begin to pound you, ground you, kind of like the Rams kind of did yesterday – I mean, excuse me, uh, yeah, um, against us in the game. Mm-hmm. Commit to that run. Commit to it. And so now when you start creeping more guys towards the to box or guys in their minds mentally begins to creep towards the box, I got to get up and help. Now you begin to hit them across the across their head with the boots and the reverses and all those things. But your gadgets, gadgets are, they don't always work when you don't have that commitment to the run. That's just my humble opinion.
2: All right, let's move over to your expertise, this defense. Um, I thought the defense would would come out of the gates and be the the foundation of this team early on in the season. But through two games, man, it's a lot of cracks in the armor. It looks like a bunch of Keystone Cops uh, running around back there. Are you surprised at the uh, lack of cohesiveness right now with this defense?
3: I am. Um, not like totally surprised. We okay. did lose some guys in the offseason. season, but I, I am because you have veteran guys there. Though know. this is not like a, a young group for the most part. There's a bunch of veteran guys in there who have been together for the most part, and so when that happens, you should be able to bond quicker. And even the way of taking the field after a turnover, like when you when you take the field after a turnover, there's a mindset that you have once you as you run on the field. Like, I'm not – don't even jog on the field. Let's like, like sprint on the field together. That, they go, <laughs> if anything, they're going to get three points. And it's not a guarantee they're going to get three points. Mm-hmm. But right now, if you're a team playing against the Eagles, when you return the ball over, <laughs> it's, it's seven points. Because that's what the defense – listen, we've given up, what, 60, 60-something points in two games? Yep. Something like that? There's no There's no way you win ball games like that. So, you know, everybody wants to put everything on Carson and there's a lot of, I guess, uh, blame to go around, so to speak. But you have to, as a defense, I'm just speaking as a defensive player now. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm embarrassed. Mm-hmm. If I'm in a locker room, I'm, I'm embarrassed right now out of what we have put on the field, giving up all those yards, giving up – and not just yards. Yards don't win games. What wins games is when you let them get yards into the red zone that you give up points. Or if their turnover happens, you give up points. That's one of the things that they were extremely good at, I think, in years past of yep. not giving up those points. Yes, turnovers happen, yes, drives happen, but we're gonna we're gonna buckle down and not I'll give you only three points. Well, you're giving up seven after seven after seven, you those are the things that have to cease. And going to have to find a way to cause those things to just be three points and not continue to give up seven points on the consistent clip consistent clips
2: you worked with this organization for three years in the front office and, and people are screaming about this in particular why doesn't this organization put a premium on linebackers you look at the better defenses in the national football league and they have one or two thumpers playing linebackers linebackers basically are the brains of a defense in a lot of ways why do you think that is with this organization
3: well if you look at swartz in his um career, Even going back to his days, at, I guess in Buffalo, yeah. he's he has a premium on the D line, so the D line is usually has a bunch of guys that he can ro- rotate in and out, and not so much of a premium on linebackers. And so that's been that's been him for a while. Now I'm not saying he doesn't have he didn't have guys dudes at those positions, but as a premium that we're going to make sure we pay specific positions. It's it's the it's that D line, and right now that D line, they're not doing what you would expect a D line to do mm-hmm. who has that much, um, I guess, um, confidence from their mm-hmm. uh, defensive coordinator. I'll say it like that. And so you're going to have guys, they're going to put linebackers that can call the defense. You don't have to be the best, uh, most athletic dude on the field to call a defense. You just have to be smart and be able to see things. So they're going to put some guys back there that can call the defense and make some plays, but again, to me, the way that it's been for forever when it comes to uh, uh, Jim force is that the premium is set for that D-line. So that D-line, they have to eat. And it can't be just Fletch. He can't be the only one that continues to show up. Or he, or, or he makes a play and then goes long periods of time because people are doubling him. So other people have to step up step up, and make plays on a consistent basis. That That's what makes a great defense. When you don't depend on one dude two dudes or three dudes to be the playmakers on a consistent basis throughout a game.
2: Give me your assessment of the uh, safety play, moving Jalen Mills back to safety and playing with Rodney McLeod back there. What have you seen so far from them?
3: Well, they're, ma- they're making the tackles. They're making the tackle. You don't see, I haven't seen any huge gains or the, the people busting through and getting the long game. That's one, that's one of the first things that I pay attention to when it comes to tackles to our safety it's can you tackle in space? A lot of people um, don't understand the significance of that being able to get a dude down when everybody, when people have either made mistakes or hey, a guy just ran through some guys and, and get to that second level. So they've done an excellent job with that. It seems that they're making a, doing a good job of communicating, of communicating and making sure that the, uh, on, on motions and, and the like, that they swap positions and, and the like. So they seem to be doing a good job from, from that respect is it, it goes to the, and this is for the whole defense. This is not just for the safeties. It has to go from, I know my job, I can do my job, to I'm going to do spectacular things as my jobs are being done.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: That's what needs to happen on this defense. Is what I guess I'm trying to say. So even, I, 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 they haven't made mistakes. You don't see them make a lot of mental mistakes, which is great because they've been together, so they, they know the defense. But it, it, it has to go to that next level for all of them, that if the ball is around you, it is an opportunity for a turnover if you have the mindset to approach it that way.
2: Are you a fan of Jim Schwartz's scheme overall? Some
3: of it. Some of it I am. Um, what you know, don't he, you like about does, it? Um, I'm not a big fan of the picket fence on um, third down. That, that's just <laughs> not me. I'm, a, I'm an attack dude all the time. But, but I will say this when it comes to Jim. Jim, he sets up that defensive line especially, to eat. So if you have guys up in that defensive line that can eat, they're going to eat, and they're going to eat on a consistent basis. Where, where I would have been frustrated as a player is that, you know, my opportunities to come up and eat are small because of that, because he depends on the rush so much and just has more guys and coverage the way that he, kind of, he, he wants to do it for the most part. He doesn't blitz a whole lot. Um, that would have been frustrating for me. But as far as the success of it, the success goes from that D-line. I'm telling you, if the D-line is eating, mm-hmm. if they're doing what they're supposed to do, then that defense will have success. If they are not, if they are not, it's not it's, – it's, it's, I'm not going to say they're going to struggle. I'm, I'm just going to tell you that it's going to be um, a lot of nail-biting. Okay. If they don't.
2: All right. If Brian Dawkins were a defensive coordinator in the National Football League, what kind of scheme would he run?
3: Oh, you know, I'm attacking Jay. That's you know, that's me.
2: <laughs> Safety's you know, blitzing all over the place.
3: No, it's not just safeties. i um, um, I learned a lot from watching Jim, and you can see uh, kind of Spags kind of doing that a little bit more of that in uh in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Is using guys for all that they can do. So if you have a dude that is extremely versatile, I want to move that dude around to get him and as many opportunities to make plays as possible. When you look at any in any, any sport, baseball, basketball, the dude who has a higher percentage of wins or, or giving or, or creating points, they usually get him the ball right. the most. Right? right, baseball, you know, you want to you want your dude who's who's batting three hundred to be up. The majority of the time, if you could, you would love for that to happen because that dude is, he's doing his thing. So if you have a dude that continuously wins in practice, he's constantly making plays, he's constantly turning the ball over in practice, you have to find a way to get different dudes involved in doing exactly what they do the best, whatever it is, so that they can then add to what you're doing on the defensive side of the ball. That that is what Jim was outstanding with. He will find what you can do the best. And then he would orchestrate different defenses to, to break down the, um, the pass protection of the offense mm-hmm. to get that person either one-on-one or free. But if you're one-on-one, then you have to have your uh, repertoire of pass rush moves to get past that one defender, one defender, excuse me, to win your battle mm-hmm. so that you offer the quarterback. So that's like, that is what, if I was a defensive coordinator, that, that is what I would do. Lock up, Guys would love to play because they know if you are, if you can produce, I'm going to find a way to get you going.
2: In in the bigger scheme of things, look at what the NFL has done. They started this season on time when a lot of people thought the season would be delayed with this COVID thing. That's been hovering over us now for almost half a year. Um, Less than 1% of players And you're talking about over 1,700 players, uh, less than 1%, uh, were diagnosed with having COVID-19. How surprised are you when you consider the volume of players, coaches, training staff, front office personnel that's closely integrated on a daily basis that here we are playing football?
3: The listening to all the things that they have to do, all the technology, uh, technology that they're using the, with the wristwatches and all those things to, to check your temperature and to, to check your, um, if you do have it, who you were in the proximity of so they can check those guys. They are so far ahead of, 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 of thinking when it comes to how to not just, you can't prevent, mm-hmm. um, someone from getting it all the time. But what you could do is if someone does have it now, see who they were around the proximity so that you can trace that individual. So the tracing of it is, is, is uh, substantial, I'll say it like that. And that's why it's surprising for me, not just for, not, not NFL, But for college that they're doing it because they don't have the resources or they don't have the collective collective uh, bargain agreement Mm -hmm. of how they're going to do things in a safe way to keep these young adults um, healthy. And so it doesn't surprise me that they that they started the season. Um, and, and it's my prayer that nobody gets it and it affects them in a way that prevents them from being the version of themselves going forward that they can be, if they didn't catch it.
2: 69 players opted out this season. If you were still playing today, would you have opted out? It really depends on
3: where I was. I've said this before. It really, really depends on where I was. If my twins would have been born, um, premature two months yeah, and I had just come off of being, um, home with them spinning. Um, uh, basically doing the f- night feedings and, and all of those mm-hmm. things because my wife was going through some of the things she was going through postpartum and the like if I was dealing with that I, I probably wouldn't have played that year. I definitely wouldn't have played that year because I would have wanted to be home with my family, to be home with my with my twins who would have been in a, uh in harm's way mm-hmm. had I brought anything back home. So I would say it like that.
2: Um stadiums eventually are going to open up. We saw the Dallas Cowboys uh, had over 20,000 fans in, in their stadium on Sunday. Um, will you go to a game this year or will you bypass it altogether for, for now?
3: I'm going to bypass it. Okay. <laughs> All right
2: now. But you're healthy. Um, I can, you're safe. I can, Why would you bypass
3: it? I can watch it from the house. Um, and We talked about this last uh, on the uh, podcast a little bit. I don't think you – I don't know where you – yeah, you were. Yes. When I talked about yep. it on, on my phone. Um, the Brian Dolphin's chat. Yep. So the first part of this year, I spent the how I spent the three days in the hospital.
2: Mm.
3: Um, the first part of this year from with the flu. Right. So and and it was prior to that. I went down to Arizona to, to see my uh, see the Clemson play, mm-hmm. and on the plane somewhere along the way, I caught I caught the flu and and like I was. I was out of it for two days, and I said, "Finally, you know, I just think it's not whatever this is. It's not. It's not leaving. Mm-hmm. I better get to the hospital." And then I spent three days there, and so I, I have asthma. Yeah, I have asthma, so I inhalers and taking up the puffs and all that stuff. Yes, I I do all of that from time to time. And now you get into the hospital situation where you're getting some fluid in your lungs. Mm-hmm. I, I can't take a deep breath without coughing on top of having asthma, which makes my asthma even worse, that yep. I can't burst, that I can't breathe. And that's a scary situation. So dealing with that, knowing that part of me, there's no way that I would go out and chance myself, chance my health off of something that I don't have to do. I don't have to go to games. I can watch them from the comfort of my home and, and, and be as safe as possible there, but I don't have to go out. So no, I w- I wouldn't, I'm just, this is me now. I can't speak to anybody right. else. This is me. I, I would not
2: go out. Well, when you put it like that, that that's understandable. I, I want to talk about Brian Dawkins, the man who played the game. You know, In all the years I've known you, you played the game angry, a heat-seeking missile. Where did that come from? The what? The, an- the, the angry the- Brian Dawkins, the, the volatile angry Dawkins, the guy who people feared Brian Dawkins. Oh man, that's, 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 that's,
3: that comes from where I'm from, bro. Like Jacksonville, Florida, Duval, that's, that's, that's how I grew up in the neighborhood that I grew up. Yeah. Like that's, that's how you have to handle business. When you touch the field, that's how you handle the business. When you walk down the street sometimes, sometimes you got to handle some business. So that's like, that's a mentality that, that I, that I grasped, hold to, and knew that I had to have in mm-hmm. order to survive in sort of, you know, in, in, in sort of way. In Jacksonville, Florida. So, uh, and the coaches, man, like like we would do different. Man, we would do some crazy tackling drills growing up. People always talk about Oklahoma. No, we would also do Jack. Where you stand up ten yards, five to ten yards from somebody, let them full speed and hit you, right? So you can so you can get used to contact. That's that's the kind of crazy stuff that we would do in Pop Warner. So, yeah, like like the mindset is just different, man, growing up, the way that we were coached, the way that we were taught, like the mindset was just different, so, and then you add that to who I am, the energy that I possess, the anger sometimes and that I have to deal with, that I didn't deal so well with um at, at certain times when I was younger, man, you add that to that, man, you got yourself a. <laughs> You got yourself a volatile situation potential. (laughs) All
2: right. I want to read this quote from your former teammate, Jeremiah Trotter. And I want to quote it perfectly. He said, and he's talking about you. He was the hardest hitter on the team. He hits like a linebacker. He hurts people. He knocks them out. He's knocked himself out. He's knocked us out. Is that all true? Yes. 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 Yes.
3: Yes. Like, I, I, I have always seen the game being played one way that's full speed first of all yeah and that's 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 aggressively that's you that's why I've always called myself a contact safety like a lot of the success that I had has come through contact like I'm going to be contacting somebody it's going to be a a strong nice contact if if, if, if I had to say anything about it so that's that's my mindset and so when I touch the field and I'm, I have the game plan, I, I know what I'm go, I know what I'm supposed to do, I know what the game plan is, I know uh, I understand the offense we're playing against, and I know how Jim is about to try to use me, then no, it, it's now it's now it's, it's about punishment. Like see that's, that's what, that was my mindset. It's about punishment. Like if, if you the more times that you stick your hand out, Mm-hmm. and someone pops it, what do you do? You snatch your hand back from a mm-hmm. kid. You know, you pop that hand. It's the same thing on the field. The more times you run across that middle and I pop your behind, the less you're going to stick your arm out every time and you're, gonna, you're not going to want to run some of those plays later in the fourth quarter and we might get an overthrow or a tip ball or something like that. So, yeah, it was, it was a mindset for me, man. It was really to get into your head. If I can get it to your head to get you to think about that physical pop, Yep. Then you're not thinking about your props. You're not thinking about your assignment.
2: You played the game for 16 years. The only way you knew how to play the game, you walked away highly decorated. Any regrets? Anything when you look back and say, "I wish I had done this a little bit differently." Not
3: only only regret that I would ever have is just not winning a Super Bowl as a player.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: That's that's the only regret. The other things, the mistakes that I've made, they have they have made me to be who I am. Like I can't take away the mistakes because again mm-hmm. I am who I am because of the mistakes that I've had and those mistakes I have learned from to allow me to be the man that I am today. Mm-hmm. But I will man the one must the on one regret is just not winning the championship. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't you pick a year I don't care what year, you just pick a year you pick one of the years one of those years we made it to the NFC Championship game and the year we made it to the Super Bowl one of those years that we just won one of those.
2: Mm-hmm. You 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 won a ring, though, or you got a ring as a front office executive with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I remember standing on that field with you, interviewing you after that game, and the tears welling up in your eyes. What did that moment mean to you? you you're right. You didn't get to, to win that ring as, a, as a, a gladiator, but you still got to wear that ring as part of an organization that you gave you know, blood, sweat, and tears, too. Absolutely. Because I knew
3: in that moment it was not just for me. I, I can, my mind quickly went to all those letters that I've received from fans who said that they, the last request of their family member was to be buried in my jersey. So my, my thoughts quickly were, went to those individuals yeah. who love the Eagles that much or love me that much that that is something that they wanted. So I, I, I just knew that that was a load that was lifted, and so many celebrations would have been had all over in Philadelphia and throughout the world because right. you know Eagles Nation is, is throughout the world. So there's so many people celebrating that that victory together. So though I wasn't on the field with those guys to be out there playing with them, um, I was blessed to to have um, to have a lot of conversations to help to 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 to, um, to create help create a culture to help that victory
2: be won. Here's what's eerie. I remember you and I standing on the practice field prior to that 2017 season, and you said, D-Gun, this team is going to do something special." I'm like, "What? What?" This, you said, "Trust me, trust me. This this team is going to do something special." And lo and behold, they won they won the Super Bowl that year. How did you know? There
3: is a caring and um, caring aspect that um, goes to another level. When you start playing for guys and you truly care about your teammates and you begin to hold one another accountable. First of all, you hold yourself to a higher standard of mm-hmm. practice preparation. and you then can now help other guys hold themselves to that same standard or you help you or you hold them to that standard and then ask them to come where you are. As a leader, so the leaders began to grow. Every all the leaders began to grow, but not just growing from a verbal standpoint. But they right. began to go out and do that. You can see them taking taking the words, taking the um, the corrections, so to speak, and, and and suggestions to do things a little different, to to tweak this, to tweak that. And then they went out and began to do things on another level. And the care factor for that in that locker room began to grow. They began to bond on a different level. And you can just see it. There's other things we were doing that I can't talk about because, I mean, I was an executive then in my contract. But there's other things that were happening after practice that was helping everybody grow, not just the players that were practicing during the week. Everybody were, were, they were all growing physically and mentally in order to, 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 to have the best team possible. So as you, when you get that, when you get that care factor, when your failure means um, that you are hurting people that you do not want to let down as a teammate, right. then you've been really in to play different. You really do. You, you You don't do some of the sh- dumb stuff off the field because you mm-hmm. know that's going to hurt that one. Maybe it's just one individual in the locker room that you do not want to let down. And if it's just that one, that's good enough. You hope it's more than that. But if you just have one dude in the locker room, I don't want to let Buddy down, man. I, you know, I, me, I don't want to let Troy down. man. I don't want to let, you know, Trot down. I don't, you know, it was more than that for me. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying, if you just have that one dude, you begin to do things on another level. You begin to prepare on another level. And when you be- begin to prepare on another level, you can then ask others to prepare on the level that you're preparing. And guess guess what that's doing for them? Mm -hmm. That's making them better. So that's what made them better. They Mm -hmm. got better and better and better. And then they were playing their absolute best football at the right time, even though all the injuries were happening. None of that deterred them.
2: Hey, I came across something, and I I thought I knew a lot about you, but I want to make sure this is accurate. So when you got your Super Bowl ring, you know, players get their names inscribed on their Super Bowl ring. I heard that you had Weapon X put on your Super Bowl X, ring. Man. Is that true? And if so, why? Yeah, so Weapon you're smiling. X. So it is true.
3: Weapon X, baby. It's Weapon <laughs> X. I had to get Weapon X's props, man. See those conversations I was having with you know with some of these guys. Like it, it was me talking, but yeah. I was giving them Weapon X secrets. You know what okay. I mean? So I gotta I had to put Weapon X on the ring,
2: brother. <laughs> well, yeah. Weapon X, yeah man. He's a part of that, brother. <laughs> He's a part of that. Hey, when you walk in the Lincoln financial field and you see that number 20 is one of only nine numbers that the Philadelphia Eagles organization has retired in more than 80 years, what comes to mind?
3: It's a very humbling thing. It's extremely humble humbling thing. Um I I think about myself from that. From that young boy growing up in Jacksonville, Florida, from that from that from that uh, young cat's eyes of of not knowing if they were going to be if he was going to be able to make it out of Jacksonville, um, out of the neighborhood, or um, if he was going to be able to survive even in college. You know, I had some coaches saying that you do know, I wasn't going to do what I needed to do in college to mm-hmm. even stay there. Um, even even how I got to college, I had to get. I got to Clemson because my teammate Clemson wanted my teammate. And he said, if I come there, Brian got to come with He has wow. to come with me. Clemson. So, um, and I didn't know that then. I know it now. Right, right. I didn't know it. But that's how I got to Clemson. And So coming from that perspective, um, I haven't always been the dude. I haven't always, it wasn't supposed to be me. I've said this a gazillion times. It wasn't supposed to be me. It was supposed to be somebody else in the neighborhood. It was supposed to be even my brother. He was the, he was the, uh, the star of the household for, for a long period of time. It was supposed to be somebody else. And so when I look at look at look at things through that lens, right, and right. then I see here I am, Brian Dawkins has his jersey up there, with these great dudes, man. That's that's extremely humbling. Extremely humbling.
2: So I'm gonna add I'll talk one more topic with you about football before we move on to, to what you're doing now. But I'm gonna say one thing and then I'm gonna let you finish this. Brian Dawkins, Hall of Famer, forever etched in the annals in the house of football legends. And you would say. Wow. <laughs> wow.
3: <laughs> when, when when I have. Um, and you know me, like I don't yep. say stuff, say stuff. Right. When I see on the 100, they had the 100th um, anniversary little um, picture that they put up on yep. social media. Right. And you see me there. I see myself on that clap, and I'm like, wow.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I'm up there with these dudes, man. Like I'm I'm up there with, you know, Jerry Rice. And so I still must see myself in that light. I don't, right, right. I don't um, so when you say what you just said, and mm-hmm. Hall of Fame and Gold Jacket Ring, um, it's still hard for me to grasp and 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 truly. Believe
2: how seriously that it's me that it's me that you're talking about, right? Right, it is. Man. Mm. I know you get emotional about it, and, and I, but I had to bring it up. Um, because uh, you and I have had a lot of heart to heart discussions about life, uh, conducting yourself as, as a man, as a father figure, as a husband, and uh, a lot of people don't know. And I didn't learn until a few years after I really got to know you that everything about Brian Dawkins is about passion um, and emotions. And, and I know that you can, you wear your emotions on your sleeve. And I know this next topic we're going to talk about is a very uh, serious topic, a very emotional topic with your mental health. It has been well-documented, uh, the, the the battles, the demons you have fought uh, most must, much of your adult life, um, and we've talked about how Football may have contributed to some of those demons that you have dealt with. But you have created the Brian Dawkins Impact Foundation. Can you tell me what that's all about?
3: Yes. So the Brian Dawkins Impact Foundation, um, it is the brainchild mm-hmm. of someone that never thought that he would have a foundation. Mm. That's That's where it came from. I never thought I would. I would always give give to or, other organizations, or I would join or be the ambassador for other organizations to get finances to whether it be Juvenile Diabetes. I've done stuff for Burn Prevention Foundation. I mean, I've done stuff. You know, used let my name to be used to gather information or excuse me, send out information to right. bless people and to get donations. So that's and I've given myself, me and my family. We've given. But as as I really begin to think about how can the message that I've been blessed to grasp by uh, reading the word of God, being the man that I am and going through the things that I'm going through, mm-hmm. how can I reach more? I'm I'm only one individual. I can only do so much as being one individual. How can I reach more? And it was brought to me by a good friend of mine. You know, a foundation is a great way to do that. Yeah. prayed about it. And so I said, you know what? Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. And so... The Brian Dolphins Foundation is to bless as many people as possible with the hope, the resources, and the um, the knowledge that they need to help them out of life situations that they maybe find themselves in.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: so, um, the first part of it was going to be towards single moms mm-hmm. because I've seen a plethora of dudes growing up that didn't have didn't have a dad in the house. I was blessed to have my father right. in my household. And so I know how his presence blessed me. It kept me in check. You know, having that voice, that strong voice. He wasn't. My dad is a very patient man. He's not. He's not someone who's yelling and cursing. My. He's a very, very patient man. But I knew there were certain things that I couldn't do. Right. Right. So I So I, my friends, a couple of them, two of them in particular, both of them lost their life to the streets. Neither one of them had a father. Mm some of the things that they were asking me to do, I was like, no, I can't do that, you know? Because I knew, once again, I talked about the team, right? I didn't want to let somebody down. Mm-hmm. Like, in my household, I don't want to let my dad, like, I can't, no, my dad my mom, I don't want to let them down. So I had that, my dad and my household, that I did not want to let him down, and I didn't want to even in trouble either, that's the other thing. but. Some of those gentlemen didn't have that. So they went out and was doing a whole bunch of stuff all over the place and it, it cost them their lives. And so that's where it was going to go first. But then when I had the, um, the speech at the, um, uh, the Hall of Fame, yep. when we did, I began to get so many DMs about, from, 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 from men about how that speech blessed them how that speech helped them to make decisions to go get help. Mm-hmm. And so I, I began to pray about, I'll say, so as I come out with this foundation, how do you want me to a- attack it? And so the first part of the foundation has changed from just being single moms to going after your cel- your cerebral wellness. Mm-hmm. So I teamed up with EverFi. EverFi is a, uh, uh, a company based out of Washington. They have a different, a bunch of different headquarters, but mm-hmm. they have the home base in, in Washington. And what they do is they've, they've come up with a bunch of curriculum about um, not just cerebral wellness or, or mental health, but they have financial, financial literacy yeah. and some other things that they do. But what happened is we came together. We talked about how we can do some things to get to schools, to get it in front of some young adults, to give them the tools that they need to help. Orchestrate life or go through life. Certain things that I that I had to deal with that I may have not had to deal with had I had some of the coping mechanisms that are taught in these sessions. Right. Well, that's how that's how it's that's how it started. That's how it changed, and now we're just um, looking to continue to grow and continue to give to the different places that we're, we're blessed to be.
2: That's all. That's awesome, man. You know, when, when you first revealed a few years ago. Um, what you were going through uh, with mental health. And you made it public. And I was looking at your Twitter page and saw all the people responding to you about how uh, they were going through things and is helping them just to hear somebody of your stature openly admit that you are battling this every day and winning and giving pointers and tips and how to win and, and combat um, depression and z- anxiety. Um, when you've when you've sat back and talked to people about the mental health aspect, and you've read some of the the comments that people have gone through, uh, that that's got to hit you, man. I mean, that's emotional. That's that's got to hit you that you know you're not alone in this fight. You know, we're, we're not alone in this struggle. Wouldn't you agree?
3: Absolutely, and, and and that's the thing that that's the thing about coming out, mentioning it, or, or saying it. Because I had so many people going into the Hall of Fame that it was like, you nothing ever goes wrong for you, dog. Like you're a Hall of Famer, you uh-huh. you know—you get all these things. I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> that's <laughs> the, the truth. There's so many things that have happened that I've had to push through, to persevere through, to grow through. And so there's a mindset thing. It had to be a mindset change for me to do things a different way, to think about life a different way, to have different things that I can do On a daily basis, yes, but also things that when things aren't the daily basis, things aren't coping or they're not helping or they're not getting the job done. It's other things that I can then go into from a spiritual aspect as well to help me persevere and push through anything. Mm -hmm. You know, for for those who are spiritual, one of the things is fasting. You know, when I'm really if I'm if I'm at my wits wits end and I don't have the answer, oh, I'm fasting. I'm not talking about fasting to lose weight. I'm talking about fasting. That means fasting from food, yep. drinking nothing but water, and fasting from this. Yep. Fasting from me, fasting from TV, like anything that I'm looking at for that day, that time that I'm fasting, as it's going to be scripture based, it's going to be spiritually based or motivational based. And what that does is it helps to to it helps to bring my flesh flesh back under control. Mm. Like I, when you when 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 your feelings are such that you feel like you're losing control of them and they begin to dictate the path that you take. That's not a good thing. We're supposed to have feelings, yes. They are not supposed to be dictating where we go. Right. So in those moments, if breathing doesn't get it, get it Excuse me, if meditation doesn't get it, if reading the word doesn't get it, then my resort is to go to fasting so that I can help myself in those moments to be able to quiet that flesh, quiet my emotions now so I can hear spiritually what I need to do. What is the next step for me to take? So these are things that I've developed over many, many years, man. It's specific things that I do every day. I pray, read, meditate every day. It's mm-hmm. the first thing that I do when I get up. And during this time of COVID, I've also been giving out um, per day a, a scripture and I put it on each one of my social media accounts. It's called fighting words, fighting words. And that's a word. That I grasped that morning, that I'm gonna help. This gonna help me fight that day, if, if I need it or not. If I need it, I got it. If I don't need it, boom, you got it. You can use it if you if you need it. You see what I'm saying? Yep. But yep. What, it, what it also does, it strengthens me because I'm spending time with the heavenly Father in the morning, and then throughout the day, I'm constantly checking my 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 um, my emotional and my spiritual uh, energy level, right? Mm. Are my emotions overtaking me spiritually or I'm feeling overwhelmed with feelings? Then I have to begin to speak those things. I have to be able to say things, say scriptures, say those fighting words or say my some people call this um, self-talk. My self-talk has to be above par. I have to begin to speak things. Speak how how blessed I really am, how blessed my family. Look at all my kids are in the house. All of them are safe. So I have to speak those positive things that I have going on in my life and not just thinking about the negatives.
2: Why do you think so many people won't get help? There's so many people that battle depression and anxiety. Why do you think so many people are in denial first and foremost and others who finally realize what they're going through, but they won't get help?
3: We have a, uh, especially as men, we have a... um, there, there's a, a mindset that you just push, you just deal with it.
2: That's right. Whatever
3: comes your way to be a man, you just deal with it. Suck it up, rub dirt on it, and you deal with it. That's right. And for some things, you can do it that way. Yes, absolutely. There's some, But there's other things you cannot, because you don't have the answer to it. And when if you don't learn how to deal with it, what you do is you did to push it deep down inside, and you never talk about it with anybody. And what that does, I, I have a t- couple of different examples for me, mm-hmm. the way it has blessed me over the years to think about it. It's like um, when you have a, a, a house and in one particular room, you throw a whole bunch of crap in there. That's right. Like food, old food and old, old, old You know, soda, whatever the case, whatever you've been consuming, you throw it in that room and you never go back in there. Well, you clean up the rest of the house, but you don't clean up that room. And you tell people, no, no, don't don't go in there. Don't go in there. No, no, I don't don't need you in there. I I, I, I got that. I got that. But what happens is that room begins to stink and it begins to come out into the other parts of the room. Mm -hmm. That's what happens to that stuff that we try to bind it and keep it down. It begins to affect other areas of our lives. So when I used to be patient, I'm no longer as patient as I used to be. You know why? Because that stink in that room, because of that pain that I'm holding mm-hmm. and trying to hold on to, I don't have the patience that I used to have because I'm spending energy on that one room. So like different ways of, of viewing things help me to understand that I have to talk to somebody. I have to talk to people. And it's not always a doctor. Sometimes it's I call them blessed packs. I have four. I have four dudes and and one um, one woman that I can call at any time to talk about anything that's mm-hmm. going on with me. That's it. I have and, and I and I. That's a freedom that I possess. I, I know I'm not alone. So even if, if I thought I was alone, now I know I'm not alone because I have each one of them cats in this phone that I can call at any time.
2: My final question to you, my friend, because if I sat here much longer, I could talk to you all day. And next thing I know, you'll be trying to send me a bill for the time (laughs) that we've sat here and chatted. My final question to you is this. Um, I'm looking over your left shoulder and I've heard you say that on your social media platforms and public speaking time and time again. Blessed by the best. What does that mean to you? And
3: Blessed by the best. um, There's a, a... A surface meaning, and there's a deep meaning to it. The surface meaning is I'm blessed by the best. Mm -hmm. The best who have ever have done it, I'm Mm -hmm. blessed by. Mm -hmm. The the, the best who have ever done it was the one who created this earth. And that's who I'm blessed by. Every day that I wake up, you see, the the Lord tells us his his grace is brand new every morning. Every morning we wake up. Mm. Fresh grace for that day. So that's the first I'm blessed by, but also I have been blessed by different people along the way. He has blessed me with the best at different periods of my, of my life. And so whether it be my coach in college or my coach in high school who helped tutor me for a while, it's been different people that have blessed me along the way to help me be the person that I am, but also the, the, like the deepest, is when I when people say that to them, when they say, "Hey, Brian, what's going on?" I say, "Man, I'm blessed by the best." Mm-hmm. What usually happens is is that person will, ah, oh, yeah, I'm blessed too. So it gets them to think about right. where yeah. they are and that they are absolutely blessed. And so it's 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 a whole bunch of things, um, and it's something that I pretty much say on a consistent basis to anybody who asks me. You know, hey, what's going on, brother? I'm blessed by the best, man. Mm-hmm. Or I just say, "I'm
2: blessed." whatever the case may be. Amen. And you are one special individual. You are a special friend to me. I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us here on Gunna Wonder one, the podcast, uh, many blessings to you in future endeavors. You don't need my blessing. You already blessed by the best. Uh, you know, I love you like family and please tell Connie, I said, hello. I appreciate Will it. Do. All right. appreciate you. You have been locked on to this edition of Gun on One, the podcast with my special friend and Hall of Famer, Brian Dawkins. I'm Derek Gunn. And as I tell you people each and every week, uh, be blessed. And more importantly, be a blessing to somebody else. So long, everybody. Gun on One is a production of D-Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. Elvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Elvin Shabazian. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit gunonone.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you.